is Up Internet. The cream cheese is from 1972. My name is Shahir Dowd. I'm Brennan McCarthy. Don't make me wait. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, You Were Never Really Here. And Brendan, something is very wrong at this point because I am in the driver's seat mm-hmm. and you are not Matt. I'm not, no. And uh, this is making me fairly uncomfortable. I think we should end this right now. Okay, good. Okay, good. This has been the only podcast about movies. <laughs> <laughs> great talk. Yeah, yeah, great talk. Well, and we are doing the Lynn Ramsey film, You Were Never Really Here, which I think is probably an apropos title, given that my intrepid co-host, Matthew Kroll, was never really mm-hmm. here at this particular place. I mean, Matt, what are you doing being in Hawaii at this moment for a beautiful <laughs> wedding with your loved ones? Um, I'm also, uh, we're also acutely aware that today is the Monday following the opening of a little independent film called Avengers Infinity War, which we are getting numerous emails about, uh, and we know people are desperate to hear our opinions about. Well, maybe you're not desperate. Maybe, have you seen it, uh, Brendan? I was I about not. to call you, I was about to call you Matt. <laughs> I can be Matt if you want me to be Matt. I, I would love you to be Matt. So could you shout at yep. me and tell me how great the Marvel Cinematic Universe is? Uh, that is the line I can't cross, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Uh, Hot take. You're, you're doing a good Shahir right now. <laughs> uh, uh, I have not seen it. I haven't seen, I was telling you earlier, I haven't seen an, the uh, a superhero movie since the first Avengers movie. Really? I, I don't think, was there a Batman movie in between? There there have been a few Batman movies in the DC Cinematic Universe. Mm, oh, I no, say, yeah, I have not seen those. Well, the, the hilarious thing is I feel, I feel like an idiot for saying words like DC Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Like, like it feels like just so <laughs> like the world who, we live in. who cares? Yeah. Um, my favorite review from AO Scott right now, I think is, uh, for the New York times is, uh, it's Marvel's universe. We just live in it mm-hmm. at this point because film critics have to like come up with a new paradigm for like how to review films like the, like Avengers and infinity war, which, had, which just def- almost defy critical thinking because yeah. there is such a different paradigm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's a whole thing. Yeah, this whole Marvel universe, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't know how to do it personally because like there it seems like there it's always like part of a whole. Like you can't even really critique one of those movies because like there's always another one coming, and and <laughs> I don't know how to. Yeah, um, I'm not good at that. <laughs> well, if you are desperate for some Marvel Cinematic Universe content, please go back. Mar- uh, Matt Kroll and Shalia Evans have been doing a fa- fantastic retrospective of all 18 films leading up to Infinity War, which are available right now. Those are some bonus contents, and each of those I think are about two hours a piece, mm. uh, three parts of those. So I know we're we're going to be a little bit late on our Infinity War review. Rest assured, I have seen the film. Matt will see it on his return and we will immediately record an episode I believe with Shalia Evans will be uh, uh, returning to join us. Um, uh, and uh, the fun thing I love right now is we're getting email um, questions which are filled with spoilers and I'm telling Matt <laughs> like, not, to, um, not to open our email account but you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod with your questions. Um, and I would encourage everybody, and I mean this very sincerely, to tweet Matt Kroll at Emperor MSK <laughs> with all the spoilers you want or fake spoilers. You guys haven't seen it? Neither of you have seen it? I- I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, um, he, but, but he has not. He's he, been away. He has He's, not seen it. And this is like, this is, uh, I mean, look, an Avengers film for Matt Kroll is like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the equivalent would be mm. of, uh, of the the well it's like i mean it's like it's the super bowl kind of i actually feel the super bowl of movies for matt yeah yeah i feel like whenever i i always hate when people make the joke around 
Super Bowl Sunday that like, oh, sports ball. And yeah. oh, I don't like sports. And and yeah. but now I sort of get that because yeah. I just see everyone losing their minds about this movie on Twitter. And I want to tweet something like that. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And actually, no, I don't want to do that. The only uh, thing I, I get it. The only thing I tweeted about was the fact that the frozen yogurt fight came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that sounds legit. Yeah. You know, it definitely <laughs> happened. Um, yeah. I look. We'll definitely come to that. Brendan, um, thank you so much for coming along yeah. uh, to review this film for us. Uh, Brendan, you, you are also the host, as well as being a fantastic filmmaker, editor. You've written a film for me um, that we made uh, many years ago, The Lottery. Yep. Um, I was forced to do that yep, forced against to my do, will. Um, it's pretty much how I operate with you, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, I like, just called you <laughs> oh, up. Yeah, I, was, I guess that's true, isn't it? I, was, like, just called <laughs> you up and said, hey, Brendan, get, out, get your ass over here. I need to review a movie. Um, but you are also the host of No Fucking ZD, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, a podcast that reviews every single episode of The Sopranos. Yes. What episode are you guys up to right now? We just finished, uh, I forget the number, but we finished six season 6A. So we are at the final nine episodes now. Oh, they, this is the final, this is the countdown to yeah, the last episode. This Wait. is it, yeah. And what was happening at this point in The Sopranos? There's like a so, war going on, right? Um, So they kind of blue ball you at the end of season 6A. It's basically leading, like from season five on, at, uh, they're, they're always kind of teasing you with it. It doesn't, well, I don't know, actually. I don't want to spoil anything. But, you don't want to spoil but, The Sopranos, a show that was uh, on like 15 years ago? We surprisingly get complaints about that sometimes. Oh, really? Even though our intro says spoil, like the first words are spoiler alert. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the war is brewing and uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of a quiet season in a way, but it's more about the, the family stuff and the, the Vito Gay storyline just happened. So we just wrapped up that stuff. And, Vito Gay story. I, like, I have yeah. seen the entire Sopranos uh, and you and I have made many debates about this because mm. I don't love the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, and I really want to come on the show and like <laughs> just be that real dick at the end of at the end of the show. We would just be berating you the whole time. I know. Like, I know. how does it feel to be fucking wrong? <laughs> I know. And I should rewatch it because I could very well be wrong about that show. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I've uh, it's, it's good. It's yeah. good. Good stuff. That I is mean, my critical <laughs> appraisal of the Sopranos. It's uh, good. Yeah, of course. And everyone's kind of on board with you on there. And I think I'm on, I'm I'm the only person who is not. I, I just I wasn't entirely convinced that it was the masterpiece. Whereas like a show. I, I Have you guys ever considered doing like a, a, a follow up podcast about The Wire? Uh, we've talked about things. Um, uh we shall see. We don't know. Really? Doing, doing an entire series. I mean, well, you guys have done like hundreds of episodes, so yeah. I can't really talk, but uh, it was like... It's, it's time consuming. Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, but but we've, we've, we're thinking of different ideas for, yeah. for after. Yeah. See, the, the, wire, afterlife. the Wire is a show that I like, well, upon first viewing, was like, no, this is yeah. kind of a work of genius. Yeah, totally. And then I've... I've that is the only long run TV show that I've watched over and over again. Like really? I've, I've watched all... Um, five seasons, three times. Not Breaking Bad? Because I know you're huge into Breaking Bad. I was really, I am really into Breaking Bad and I'm always, and I am always like, uh, I really want to watch Breaking Bad again. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I'm kind of like, when will I do this? Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm on Netflix right now and there's like, and I'm kind of like having to decide, I'm like, "Mm, maybe just do Breaking (laughs) Bad. Yeah. Um, But The Wire, there's something novelistic about The Wire, which keeps me interested in it. Like it feels like returning to a very comfortable novel. It's so dense. Yeah, totally. Um, I know it's, it's, it's sort of, um, uh, hipster cliche at this point to say the wire is the greatest TV show ever made, but it's, it's not wrong though. Um, I like the Sopranos cause it like, there was a little more, I don't know, something more cinematic about it. They could kind of like, uh, do some more genre bending. Like it was like a horror movie at some points. It was a comedy at other points. Um, and I mean, they're both amazing, but, yeah. but the, the Sopranos got weirder. I love the dream stuff. I yeah. love like weird lit and things like that. And so that's kind of why 
And then James Gandolfini. I mean, of course. Just, yeah. And, and, and remembering, uh, and I'm not going to spoil the last episode, but I think the last episode, mm-hmm. I think, made an imprint on television history oh, um, yeah. forever. Yeah. And I, in a way that I don't think anything has ever done. Um, uh, not, yeah, probably not maybe, since. Uh, maybe except for Twin Peaks or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, um, they're similar shows in a way too. Like they're definitely in the same family and, and, yeah. uh, and th- yeah, I would say that's a good call. Okay. Um, love both shows. Did you watch <laughs> the new season of Twin Peaks on? Uh, I have not. Mm, I, I, and it's really know, good. The reason I have not is that I, um, I watched the original Twin Peaks. Sorry, everyone listening. This is the this is the only podcast <laughs> about, about TV <laughs> about Twin Peaks. Um, this is why Matt is he, he's usually here. He keeps me on point. No, oh, but um, I'm just derailing. This thing. Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> totally fine. Um, we I, I watched Twin Peaks when I was a little little kid. Like mm-hmm. it was a big deal in New Zealand. And I went back and re and started rewatching it. And I was like, oh, this is not dated very well. Uh, not all. No, no. Yeah. And 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 I want to give it, but it, it it tried my patience. I think in the first like three or four episodes. That's understandable. Yeah. And so, but, but I, cause I felt like the need to be completionist in some way to like revisit Twin Peaks. I was like, oh, I need to revisit the whole thing. Cause I've completely forgotten that. Yeah, no, you definitely don't. There's, <laughs> there's, there's stretches of episodes you can just totally skip. I would say. All right. And, and, and some people I've, I've read reviews, which say that a couple of episodes of Twin Peaks, uh, the new season are like amongst the, the boldest visions of television that have ever happened. There's one in particular um, that you could probably watch on its own yeah. uh, that I would agree with. It definitely like immediately became like, where were you when this, this happened? Yeah. Like I thought it was just great, but I'm a huge David Lynch guy and I love that. It's just like, I don't need a plot so much and I'm right. cool with just being like, Oh, this is like weird and creepy and I'm, I'm in, you know, wow. like, he, he just does it better. I, I, he does, <laughs> he does, he does that. Well, I don't know. Well, with that in mind, we have got the yeah. perfect film for you to review <laughs> again. Uh, our Avengers of War review will be coming, but this is a film. There was an interesting thing that happened when I went to see Avengers Infinity War, which is that it played in every single theater. Mm. Like every screen in the theater was playing at every 15 minutes, which basically means, yeah, which basically means that other smaller films or, you know, almost any film, Mm -hmm. you know, even the biggest film that came out a week ago, A Quiet Place, isn't playing anymore to make room for the Avengers. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy, right? Like we're in that sort of space now. And I I don't think that's actually a bad thing because I think, you know, the movie experience, the theater going experience is dying in a way and Mm -hmm. things like events like the Avengers, you know, Avengers Infinity War are kind of keeping it alive. But there is this thing where uh, I, you know, and we've done this, we've talked about this on many episodes. Um, I do want us to talk about things that aren't necessarily being talked about uh, as much and, and hopefully get the people who listen to us to, you know, to, to try other things outside of the Avengers world mm-hmm. or outside. <laughs> Every movie is the Avengers except for anything else we're doing. Yeah. Uh, this, I thought you were never really here is in the Avengers universe. Well, is it not? Well, Joaquin Phoenix. And I, by the way, mm-hmm. there's a, we're going to do this. I, I'm going to, I'm going to put this on the table. There is going to be an inside joke here between Brendan and I, which I don't know if you know is an inside joke yet, but when you texted me about this, you were like, Walkman, Phoenix. Yeah, Walkman Phoenix. Because that's what autocorrect <laughs> is. And so ever since then, we've been texting back and forth about Walkman Phoenix. Yeah, brother to Discman Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Discman. <laughs> Tragic. Um, uh, so uh, this is actually the second Walkman Phoenix movie that you and I have seen together. Oh, we saw Inherent Vice, right? We did see Inherent Vice. And yeah. also the second one where Walkman Phoenix gets bashed over the head in the first few minutes from behind. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. Do you remember watching Inherent I, Vice with me? Yeah, I do. I don't remember the beginning of that movie. I remember, uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember very little about. No, it's it's a it's an interesting movie to revisit. In yeah. advice, um, we're both PT Anderson fans, big time. Yeah, uh, but when when in the first few minutes of you were never really here. 
Walkman Phoenix, <laughs> his character Joe, <laughs> yep. gets bashed over the head in the almost identical shot to, to it happening in Inherent Vice. But in Inherent Vice, he kind of just collapses to the floor and it's a joke. Oh, yes, yes. In this one, he kind of turns around and like fights back. And I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. this is this is Walkman Phoenix taking revenge for is what happened to him in Inherent Vice. Yeah. That's that's how brutal I connect, punch. Yeah, that's how I connect cinematic universes. <laughs> okay, so now I'm, I'm picking it up now. <laughs> You're All picking right. up where we're going. So Inherent Vice and this are both Marvel, I think. Yeah. And um, I think they're crossovers in a way or something. I think Walkman Phoenix is uh, currently in the ether to be um, to potentially play the Joker. I heard that. In yeah. a standalone uh, film directed by Todd Phillips. Really? Who, yeah. Wait, who directed Old School? Yeah. And uh, the Hangover series. Uh, oh, and that's... I think executive produced by Martin Scorsese. What? It's the crazy. Oh man! I mean, we are living in a simulation. Things have gotten. <laughs> that's the strangest thing I've heard. Uh, well, in the last five minutes, I guess I heard a lot of strange <laughs> things today. <laughs> um, wow, that's weird. I heard. I did hear about that, and I'm like kind of cool with that because I feel like he could make the Joker interesting again. Yeah. Um, which should be on a hat, by the way. And uh, <laughs> make the joke. Make yeah. joke. <laughs> but Maja, that's that's weird to me. I, I don't know. I feel like. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix has been such like a like indie actor. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about him crossing over to something big like that. Although I guess he played Johnny Cash and he's done pretty big movies before. And I would say in the realm of like potentially lucrative uh, roles, you could play Johnny Cash versus the Joker. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, probably two different things. Although yeah, yeah I, I kind of see what you're getting. He, now he won the Oscar for Johnny Cash, right? Uh, did he in the end? Did I he? believe he did. Oh man, people mm. are gonna write us in about that one. Only movie podcast at, at gmail.com. Tweet it, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Um, uh, yeah. So and, and that is a. I mean, I think. Uh, there's a thing now where where Walkman Phoenix is um has kind of become a brand unto himself of yeah. being a challenging and interesting actor. You know, like if you think yeah. about Inherent Vice, The Master, um, and uh, oh, what was the other? I'm, I'm, his his hip hop documentary, <laughs> uh, you, which which is a perfect companion piece, and you were never really here. Yeah, uh, I'm not there. Right, right, right. Um, you know, he is he's been an actor who's kind of. Evolve. Oh, I was thinking about oh, her, her right, as yeah. well. Um, oh, fucking Gladiator, too. Yeah, he was what in What am Gladi- I saying? Yeah, he's, yeah, been, he's, he's been, been in pretty big movies before, actually. He's been in everything. Yeah, um, I, I've never seen a movie. You've never seen any movie? No, this no. is my first one. Okay. I liked it. I liked that there was motion and picture, and, and, and audio was great. And and unlike most movies, they're synchronized together as well, right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah? Whoever liked- did that, whoever put that together <laughs> did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, okay. All, All right. right yeah. Let, let's backtrack a little bit here. The movie we're going to talk about, again, not the Avengers film is a film called you were never really here which is a which is kind of a mouthful Mm -hmm. uh, directed by lynn ramsey and the imdb synopsis goes a traumatized veteran unafraid of violence tracks down missing girls for a living when a job spins out of control joe's nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered leading to what might what may be his death trip or his awakening. Mm. Have you ever been on a mm. death trip? Have you? Uh, I've been on other kinds of trips. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it felt like that. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> what the tourist, what the agent for uh, giving you a death trip would be like. Mm. Try this. It'll be great. <laughs> um, this is directed by Lynn Ramsey, who is a filmmaker. I have been, I feel like Lynn Ramsey is someone I ha- I should have uh, gone back and seen her earlier works by this point, and I haven't yet. Yeah, same. Yeah, so the the early she's actually only made four feature films. Right. Um, the first two being Ratcatcher and Movenkala. Right. Uh, with Samantha Morton was the Movenkala one, and that kind of put her on the map. And the 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 reason I really got interested in her was that at one stage she was. 
um, slated to direct The Lovely Bones, the Alice Siebold novel that was eventually directed by Peter Jackson. Right, yes. And the reason I was interested in that is that uh, I saw... Oh, sorry, and she made a film um, uh, called uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin Mm -hmm. um, instead of The Lovely Bones, uh, which I have seen. And the reason I was interested in that is um, I really loved We Need to Talk About Kevin, and I thought... What she brought to that film was exactly what The Lovely Bones actually needed mm-hmm. and not what it, you know, I don't know if you've seen The Lovely Bones, the Peter Jackson movie. Uh, it's been a while. Claire yeah. Danes, is that the, or no, no. No, that's, it's uh, um, Sorcerer Ronan, uh, oh, one yeah, of her yeah, first yeah. roles, uh, Mark Wahlberg, and... Um, I actually have not seen that, no. Uh, I was thinking of something totally different. His early, early movie with... Uh, Oh, 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 with, Heavenly Creatures? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Right. And I think The the Lovely Bones was supposed to be kind of like a return to that kind of filmmaking for Peter Jackson right. after the whole, uh, after Lord of the Rings and King Kong. <laughs> but it just, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, filmed in New Zealand as well. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of had a personal <laughs> interest in it. Um, or partly filmed in New Zealand. And I thought, so, so she was working on that film for a long time and then kind of as Peter Jackson... Um, blew up and he was looking for his next project. Um, you know, his wife, he, he and his wife, Fran Walsh were looking for something similar to heavenly bones and they kind of mm. uh, heavenly creatures. And they kind of like took the film away from really? Ramsey. Yeah. Wow. She was, she was slated to direct it for a long period of time uh, and was working on it for a long period of time. And I think it was sort of like a really heartbreaking thing for her to let go, but she went on to do uh, we need to talk about Kevin, which I thought was an extraordinary film. Um, and I really loved it. And, and then, so the thought that she was, and there was another film that she was going to talk, uh, going to do uh, a Moby Dick in space. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ishmael. I'm, yeah. I'm there for that. If that happens, <laughs> I think she's been working on that for a while, but it huh. uh, hasn't come to fruition. And there was a little bit of controversy because she uh, was also slated to direct a film, which actually was made called Jane got a gun with Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually turned up on, oh, she, she did all the pre-production work, and as far as I know, she just didn't turn up on set on the first day of shooting. You can do that. Apparently. <laughs> and then continue working after that? I want to do that. There's... I want to do that. Well, they replaced her with Gavin O'Connor, uh, who directed Warrior. Okay. And and I've seen Jane Got a Gun, and, I, and, and it's a perfectly fine film. Yeah. But I was kind of like, oh, I, I'm curious what the what the pretense for her leaving that film was. They've never talked about why she just didn't show up. I, I, as far as I know, there was just some differences of creative opinion. Hmm. Um, but, but the way in which she did it was kind of, um, uh, I guess more spectacular than the actual creative difference itself. And, but having seen you were never really here, I think there was something interesting to me. I, I, I'm really interested in this director's vision, mm-hmm. and I think I'm really interested in the in the way she wants to tell stories. And I think the reason why, she, you know, in the case of uh, the Lovely Bones and and Jane Got a Gun, um, th- the reason those things have kind of fallen away from her is there's something defiantly anti-commercial about everything she does. Yeah, totally. Um, even when you know, I mean, uh, we need to talk about Kevin as a film about a uh, a, a school shooter mm-hmm. that kind of almost tries to sympathize with the school shooter at the mm-hmm. end. Um, and this film, you know, which we'll talk about, you know, right now is is something that that feels defiantly trying to create something new and take material and spin it in an interesting way. I don't. I, yeah. I, it doesn't feel like to me that she's trying to. Um, deliver a conventional thriller at any point. 
point of this movie. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, I feel like she even, you know, I mean, I guess we'll get into the details, but there are, you know, murders that happen in this movie that's just kind of that he happens upon in a way, you know, like yeah. we, don't, we don't really see a lot of what's happening. And uh, yeah, she intentionally kind of turns the camera away. And uh, and I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, well, well yeah. OK, let's get into it. Like, yeah. like, So what did you think of You Were Never Really Here? Um, I overall ended up liking it. I, I will say for the first like 20 minutes or so, I wasn't sure. I just wasn't in it fully. And I might have just been knowing that I was going to come on here right after like intellectualizing way too much and being like, what do I think of that? What do I think of this? Um, <laughs> we have that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, I'm so nervous. Um, but then I will say like probably around the start of like act two when he does. Do we just jump right into spoilers and stuff? I, I, here's or, the thing. I, I think I don't want to give away spoilers because okay. this is a and. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I, I don't want to give away... accepted. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to give away spoilers because I feel like this is a okay. film that isn't getting seen a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get, I guess, you know, a spoiler for my opinion of the film is I really do want people to go see this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think let, let's let's try to keep spoilers out of it just okay. for this first part. Well, so basically I think that once the mission really starts, if yeah. you will, um, I, you know... I found myself really into it and then suddenly just like really immersed in the world. Um, but I think maybe for the first like 20, 25 minutes, I was like looking for those flourishes where she was trying to do something different with the hitman genre in a way. And I was kind of like thinking that it maybe felt a little too cutesy at some points, I yeah. guess. Um, but it was really just, I was just wrong about what direction it was going in. I was wrong about like the relationship with his mom. I was just kind of, yeah. Uh, it took me a few minutes to kind of just like really settle in. And then once I did, I, I really, really liked it. I will say that that is the, the sort of unusual experience. I think everyone is having with this movie. Um, and the, the, the reviews have, have been generally positive. The film won Best Actor at Cannes, won Best mm-hmm. uh, Screenplay at Cannes as well, which is interesting that, that you know, like uh, a film winning major prizes at Cannes kind of getting buried here. And that mm-hmm. uh, side note, <laughs> that, that would be an interesting conversation to have in the context of like Netflix deciding to bow out of Cannes mm. and how Cannes is becoming kind of, in a way, slightly less relevant to to what's happening for, for, for movie going audiences. Yeah. Um, but, but off the side note, uh, I think this, this film does, if you watch the trailer to this movie, you will expect to get a hitman story, mm-hmm. um, involving some sort of avenging angel with a hammer. And this name is not Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, but, but that is not what this film is at all. In fact, this film is, is almost going out of its way to not do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, to me, um, there's there's two schools of thought here. Um, you know, again, you know, jumping in for whether I want people to go see this movie. I do want people to go see this movie, but I want them to go see it because I want them to, I, I want people to experience something that is is simultaneously trying to create something new, but also doing the one thing that most movies want to do, which is satisfy you. Yes. And it feels like this film doesn't want to satisfy you. And I think now ordinarily, you know, in the, uh, I hate the phrase art house, but in the art house world, there Mm -hmm. is that sort of tendency to do things that are like, um, uh, you know, slightly enigmatic. We don't exactly know what happened. You right. Know, the ending is open, that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe for the sake of it even, which is yeah. sometimes, yeah. I think, I think that's a lot of people's complaints with, you know, the art house kind of movie experience. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the thing to me was that I think this, this movie has a real purpose for doing that. And it is really trying to get at this idea of what does violence do to the observer? So people yeah. watching the movie. And to me, the the sort of 
the the counterpoint narrative. I think a lot of people have compared this to Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's all over the poster. I think there was one reviewer that said Taxi Driver for the millennial generation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Whatever Man. that laughs> the other thing, the other film I was thinking about was um, Drive. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, the Nicholas Winding Riffin film Drive. Yeah. Uh, we've done an episode about Drive. Matt is not a fan of Drive, but you can go back and listen to our discussion about mm-hmm. that. And I think the thing is, is that this film is essentially, in a way, Drive. But but doing everything it possibly can to not give you any pleasure in the violence. Yeah, and and I think that is actually a really fascinating thing to watch, and it really undercuts your experience in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately it gave me a lot to think about, and I know that's that's a sort of a hard sell if you're <laughs> like, hey, go spend fifteen bucks on something that's not going to satisfy you, but give you something to think about. But I think if you're interested in the cinematic experience, one of the things I um, uh, have been thinking of, I have a a, a sort of uh, a lot of thoughts about violence in movies. Mm-hmm. And the way in which movies um, tend to glorify violence, we we engage in violence in a way that that is there to kind of give us pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's complicated. And I think you know this might be compounded by the fact that I'm a dad now. Um, you know, I want to you know figure that out a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> figure out how we to can be talk a, about it. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and so uh, you know, I I. And I definitely enjoy, you know, like uh, choreographed violence. I love John Woo movies. I love, I love like the sort of the brute, the the beautiful brutality of a movie like Drive or you know uh, Quentin Tarantino movies or you know um, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, like in in uh, movie going culture, we have like a real uh, tendency to really engage and, and, and enjoy violence, but not, uh, engage or indulge in sexual, uh, uh, sexual material, for example. So Mm. we have this like dichotomy about that. And I think, so I've, and I, and I found that kind of troubling and weird and strange. And so a film like this, which is about that kind of, um, aesthetized violence or, mm-hmm. it, you know, but it undercuts that violence. You know, it's a beautiful looking movie, but it completely undercuts the violence by cutting away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's kind of compelling and interesting in that conversation to do that. I don't, I don't know how you felt about it. I know you've just walked out of the movie, Yes, <laughs> but, but that's literally, I'm, you know, some of the things I was thinking about as I watched it. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. And I think it's actually, Again, I don't want to give too much away, but it's a hitman movie. So there are hits. Um, yeah. And one of them in particular towards the beginning is actually all shown through like security cameras. Mm-hmm. But you really don't actually see them like he'll go. Uh, he'll, you know, uh, he uses a specific weapon in this yeah. movie. That's kind of his signature thing. And he'll go to use that and it'll cut away to like a different camera altogether. Yeah. Which I feel like kind of goes along with that. There's like a voyeuristic, uh, you know, quality to that. But you're still not seeing it, which is just really interesting and equally effective. Yeah. Um, I thought that was it, it was obviously choreographed, but in like, a you know, um, I don't know. You couldn't, you couldn't really see the seams in the same way. And it was just really interesting. And yeah, I mean, yeah. the way I would describe that scene is imagine seeing uh Chanwick Park's old boy, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it away. He's, he uses a hammer. That's his weapon yeah, of that's choice. That's in the reviews. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's in the reviews. It's in the, it's in the, um, it's in the trailer. Yeah. But, 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 Imagine, you know, like old boy has this sort of beautiful single take choreography where you're seeing him take out all these people. Mm -hmm. And this basically undercuts all of that by using not only not the actual film camera that they're using, but by, you know, by jumping a step further back into security camera Mm -hmm. uh, into security cameras and then not offering us the sort of visual pleasure in seeing him 
take on these people in this sort of beautiful choreographed way. We don't yeah. get to enjoy the violence that he inflicts upon people, even when those people are deserving. These are, you know, um, the, it, 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 these are people who are engaging in child sleek slavery. Yeah, it's Pizzagate, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's the whole pi- <laughs> this this is, movie's about Pizzagate. This is literally the MAGA fantasy of Pizzagate. Yeah. There, wasn't there a guy who went to the Pizzagate? Uh, uh, there was, yeah. And, and, uh, comic pizza, or whatever it's called. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or ping pong. I forget. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if you are if you want to go down the rabbit hole of Pizzagate, uh, and you you may become a child sick slavery conspiracy theorist, but, but please go down look that rabbit hole up of, of what Pizzagate is. Yeah, but this uh, the, it is sort of this that dude thought he was Joaquin Phoenix, only uh, not as cool, yeah. and uh, we're, we weren't rooting for him. Well, um, I was, well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I do agree. Like, there is, uh, like, she does kind of undercut the satisfaction, but still at the same time, the few quick shots you do get are ex- extremely satisfying. Right. You know, like, we're... Um, you know, these are bad people he's going after. It's not a hitman movie where he's killing innocent people. He's yeah. he's a hired he's a former FBI agent yeah. um and military guy who's hired to take out the bad people. So yeah. it is even though we don't see it, they'll cut away to someone else's reaction or just cut away altogether. I did feel extremely satisfied after that one <laughs> right. particular scene. Like, yeah, it was just like hell yeah. That. Yeah. Um so but but yeah, but then you are still left to question how much that affects you or affects the people. I mean, there are children involved and how much they're affected. We see flashbacks of him as a child and there's uh, some domestic violence there. Yeah. Um, which I thought she handled just really, really well. All, yeah. the, all the flashbacks and his clear PTSD from um, being in the military and the FBI. Yeah. Um, yeah. was all handled really well. And it's just good to see. I mean the hitman genre is something that can go really wrong. And yeah. I feel like every 18 year old male screenwriter has taken a stab at it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely did. I wrote like a serious one. I wrote a comedic one right. in my high school and college years. Um, I'm not sure why young, young guys are so obsessed with it, but, but it's, it's a, it's a power fantasy, right? Yeah. It's like, it's, and it's like though they're a loner. No one really understands them and they yeah. live outside of society, I guess. But like, but deep down they're good guys, you it, know, it, I, in a, I, it in a way, I think it fulfills the Batman sort of yeah. vigilante kind of idea. It's this person who takes the law onto themselves, mm-hmm. but in the Hitman's case as well, uh, I think with, you know, like famous cases of uh, famous films about him. And the only one that comes to mind for some reason is Gross Point Blank, mm-hmm. um, which is a movie I love, but also um, Pulp Fiction, you know, the Hitman kind of fantasy. Yeah. It's people with like really spe- specific, specialized skills right. that are kind of, you know, using them for a monetary guy. I guess you could even think about it, um, it, you know, like as an extension of the Western genre, the kind of yeah, uh, the Lone Ranger or the, um, I'm not not the Lone Ranger. I'm thinking of like the, the hired gun. Yeah. Um, or even the or, Samurai film, you know? You know, like, yeah, even gangsters too, I guess, yeah. in a way too. Yeah. Um, but some, you know, it's not the first movie to to delve into the psychology of it. Mm. Um, but it does do a good job with it. And what I guess what I was gonna say is that, you know, we never really see like the morning at like M-O-U-R-N morning yeah. after, and we never really see um that kind of effect it has on them. So I, I really applauded them for trying in this one. And, and Joaquin, Fe- Joaquin Phoenix just kills it. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is the uh, best tape player um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's ever lived. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's something I, I found, you know, just to, to come back to that point you're mentioning about like, um, uh, you know, you, you have the satisfaction because it is, it is a gorgeously shot film. It mm-hmm. is beautiful. Everything looks kind of in that sleek, um, that, that, that sort of wonderful, sleek New York city underbelly mm-hmm. kind of blood looks black and you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but I, I found what happened was 
because they were because he was she was purposely cutting away from the violence. Mm -hmm. Anytime we did see a moment of violence, I kind of started questioning my response to that, and Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, "Oh, I don't think I should be enjoying this. I don't feel like I should be actually engaging with this." And I think that's what the point of what this film is trying to do does. Yeah. Um, uh, just, just a, a sort of a interesting side note. And I, I know you caught the, uh, the in train here to Astoria Boulevard, but that the scenes where he's on the subway, that, you know, that is the subway. It was right. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I pulled up and I was like, okay, well, what was funny. <laughs> the, the other reason I was interested in seeing this film, uh, uh, is that I was walking home one day and, and Walkman Phoenix walked past me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you know, he's obviously dressed he, cause they filmed a lot of the film around this neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, there was this interesting thing where I was like, I recognize them. But he was—he's obviously a lot heavier set than he normally is. He's got this sort of big, yeah. uh, you know, gray and goatee. He looks slightly like a homeless person. He did. He's, he was rocking the dad bod and yeah. the man bun in this movie. <laughs> oh my um, god, that is yeah, but, that is a twofer. That is yeah. that is always going to get you laid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 there's this thing where it's like you—he's completely immersed in the role where you don't recognize him. And and yeah. and a lot of the film, you know, as I was watching the movie, it was like, oh, they could have just literally put him in stood far away enough and like filmed and no one's going to realize it's Oscar winner Joaquin Walkman Phoenix, you know, sitting on the sidewalk or walking yeah. through the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, Cause he just doesn't, you know, I think that's an impressive um, way that he carries a movie these days is mm-hmm. that he's completely immersed. And, I've, you know, one thing that I've always been really amazed by him, and I think this comes from the master and her is his, his ability to like embody a character through the walk you know yes like just the posture and the way yeah. he holds himself yeah yeah and there's a real thing in this movie where you can tell he's a former military guy by the way he walks like he's got this sort of like his chest is kind of his back is kind of arched in a way where he's ready to like hunker down and yeah. like fight yeah i um, guess so i you didn't know, think like, of that but yeah whenever he walks like when he's walking into the bodega i just see him as like he's got this sort of real protective shell around him and even though his body is kind of um yeah he's rocking the dad but i kind of i kind of look at them i was like that's what a man looks like that's what i want to look like (laughs) yeah (laughs) um uh, but but he you know he felt dangerous at the same time as well like he Mm -hmm. felt like he was kind of like ready to do combat at all times yeah which i I, at first i it's it's hard to I guess, I don't know, you wouldn't really describe it as a physical role because it's so restrained, but it yeah. is. Like, it's really, like, great physical acting. Yeah. Um, I guess at first, maybe part of the reason I wasn't sure I was really into it for the first, again, it was only, like, 10, 10 or 15 minutes, was because, um, I don't know, it just felt like I was watching Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix a little too much. But then, by the end of the movie, I really did start to appreciate all of those things and just, like, just how how he carried himself and yeah. just how committed he was to it. And, and, and yeah, but it, it did take me like 15 minutes to forget that he was Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, you know, th- like him and Daniel day Lewis kind of have the same effect where they're incredible actors. And usually by the end of the movie, I have forgotten that that's who I'm watching. Yeah. But I'm always kind of like, Oh, I'm watching this really committed actor. Who's I'm thinking about how they, what they were doing on set and how they probably were talking to everyone in character the whole time. <laughs> and you know, um, but yeah, he's, it's, he, it's, He's good. Yeah. He's a good actor. The, the, yeah. He's an up and comer. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got. He's going to go places. This yeah, kid. I think so. Yeah. Um, well, because I think I think as well. He and you know Daniel Day Lewis is a really good reference. Is that they have like this ability to. They've made a brand out of like being immersed in a character. Mm-hmm. So now when you go to watch a film with them in it, 
you're like, oh, what are they going to do this time? Yeah, you know? I guess. And so, yeah. and so you're kind of like watching them going, all right, all right, kid, act for me. You right, know, like, right. Do, do, do something big. Right. And 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 it kind of puts them in this sort of odd position where it's hard for them to like completely lose themselves in the role. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. But, 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 you know, again, by the end of the movie, you're entirely immersed in it. I want to, I want to circle back. Um, so look, b- before we go on, at this point, we're going to jump into spoilers, but I, okay. I, I do really want to stress um, uh, this is a film that if I tell you to go see it, you're, you might hate me for having to watch it. Mm. Um, you know, if, if, if what you want to see is something satisfying, if you want to see something in the vein of drive or taxi driver, even, um, this is, this is going to go, this film goes out of its way to not give you that, but it right. does it for a very specific purpose. And I think the undermining of the, of the violence is actually really, unique to what is going on with this character because this is a this is a very traumatized character. Yes. We see, I think, in flashbacks, sort of three or four different instances uh that, you know, any single one of them would induce PTSD. Mm-hmm. But all three of them combined like yeah. create this sort of manic and anxious uh character. And and what I love about this film is that it the 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 actual sort of the the film doesn't undermine its own philosophical integrity by like you know by doing like an old boy type scene or doing like a drive scene where we're like really engaging in the pleasure of violence mm-hmm. it's really this film is really saying no this is um a traumatic uh person who is dealing with a lot with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and and we're not going to indulge you in his pain um and i think that's kind of um a pretty interesting thing unfortunately it's antithetical to like uh, being a uh, a sort of pleasurable experience, but I think yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Um. So so okay. So we're gonna jump into spoilers, but before right. before we do that, you know, go see the film. It's not getting a lot. You know, like it, you'll have to find a, first. You'll have to find a movie theater that's not playing Avengers, which is gonna take you a while. <laughs> and then once you do that, you'll have to find like it's playing at like five p.m. in an afternoon right now. Yeah. Um. But uh, it'll also be available on Amazon Prime shortly because it is an Amazon funded film. Okay. Well, nice. Good to uh, know. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> So specific things. I think okay. the, the one of the interesting things that this film does is the relationship with his mother. Yeah. Which is which is beautiful and tender. And it, the movie spends a lot of time, you know, like finding out how this relationship works. Yeah. How did you how did you kind of feel about it's also the only relationship he really has in this movie. Right. Uh, how did you how did that affect you? How did that how did you feel about it? So at first, like I said, I was wrong about it at first. I thought we were kind of getting the, you know, the violent guy with the domineering mother and right. they were going down that road. They, they even re- mentioned Psycho. They mentioned Psycho and <laughs> yeah. he does the yeah, you know, yeah. like um so I was kind of thinking that's where it was going that um that they were going to have some a much more twisted relationship, which I felt like I'd seen before. And so I was kind of thinking that I wouldn't really be interested in it. But by the time she was murdered um, and there's essentially a funeral scene that he has to do in private because obviously uh, it would expose his whole lifestyle and all that's going on. I thought that was a, a really, really beautiful moment. Um, and it was surprisingly tender. Wasn't it, it was. Yeah. I mean, I, this is actually the first movie I've seen by myself in a theater. I usually oh, never, I'll, really? I'll, I'll do dinner by myself. I'll do everything by myself. But for some reason, it's just never happened that I've gone to the movie theater by myself. But I, uh, <laughs> I found myself getting a little emotional. Yeah. I, mean, I cry very easily at movies. So I cannot <laughs> go back and watch up again. Cause it would just, it will, it will ruin me. You 
should just uh, walk in for the first five minutes, cry and leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that got me. And Johnny Greenwood's score is incredible there. Yeah. And it's shot beautifully. The whole underwater sequence is yeah. just amazing. And so, yeah, uh, the only thing I can say, again, is that I was just totally wrong. I do feel like there were some just awkward moments at the beginning yeah that i would i i'd like to go back and rewatch now i guess and and really and just see it in about. this new light yeah yeah i think there's something the, the the relationship with the mother kind of plays and like you say you you expect it to go into the sort of domineering you know she's got the the mother is this sort of yeah she looks a little bit like the the skeleton from psycho yeah i apologize to the actress there judith roberts um well they it? really heavily heavily make her up and yeah. you know like she looks she looks like she's on the edge of death at this yeah. point. Yeah. Oh, she uh, was an eraser head. Yeah, she was an eraser head. No. Um, and she, you know, she's one of these fantastic actresses that have been around for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, it, 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 the thing about her, when, when, when the movie starts going to shit, basically after he's rescued the daughter of the Senator. Yeah. Um, and, and we realize that in a way he gets double crossed and, you know, which is a classic sort of like, you know, uh, detective noir kind of story, you know, yep, yep. um, nothing unexpected there. Um, the first thought that goes to mind is as he, you know, all of his co- primary contacts in life starts being, start to get killed. Mm-hmm. And the only thing thinking in my mind was, Oh God, they're going to go for his mother at mm-hmm. some point. And you expect that, uh, I, I think in any other movie and it wouldn't be the wrong decision is to make the death of his mother to be the catalyst for, his vin, you know, his vengeance at this point, you know, yeah. like, and, and it's not to say that the film doesn't do that, but I think everything that happens at, from, from that point forward undermines that thinking because, um, the first thing that happens is he goes and he, he finds his mother, uh, you know, like she's been shot through the eye. Yeah. Um, not unlike that scene from the Goodfellas, uh, not Goodfellas, the Godfather, you yep. know, like shot through the eye. <laughs> yep. Through uh, the glasses even too. Yeah. Through the glasses. The Mo Green special. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but, but he goes downstairs and he kills a, he, he the, the two hitmen are still there. Well, there are, are they government people or like yeah, secret because, service? Because they he's are, a right? senator yeah. and, and, and it's presumed the, the, the spoiler here. And again, you know, it, at this point you should have seen the film by this point. Uh, the, you know, the governor, uh, of the, is behind all of this, this, this sort of sick slavery ring. We don't exactly find out the, the exact details of how this works. Yeah. It seems a little bit. Um, like for him to be like taking her back to his mansion and molesting her mm. seems like a little bit, Hey bro, out in the open, you know, like it just seems a yeah. little weird. Um, but, but, um, everything that, ha- yeah. So they are government sort of people down there, but he, he kills one. And again, it's shot in a way that again, we don't really get to have pleasure in that scene. Like it sort of happens off screen. Yep. And then one of them remains alive. And rather than torturing this person, he gives her him like some sort of medication, which I presume is like some sort of like Xanax or yeah, yeah. pain pill or something like that. And he lies down next to her, yeah. next to him. And they kind of like, he just waits for him to die pleasantly. He kind of, they, they sing a song together. They like, hold is, hands. They hold hands. Yeah. Doesn't, it, like, doesn't it sound weird to say that out loud? He's like, oh, the guy who killed his mother, he sits down and he holds his hand and like yeah. sings a song with him. Yeah. Like how, you know, like what movie does that? And what is the purpose of something like that? Yeah. You know, like, wh- how did you respond to that moment? 
I thought it was really cool and and creepy. I I loved the um not to get too technical, but like the the music's playing, yeah. and then it cuts to like there's a really jarring cut to the guy's eye with no music, and suddenly it's like oh this guy has died now. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I found it weird and and kind of funny in a way when they started singing. Like I was well, I was one of two people who started chuckling a little bit. Yeah. Is, I don't know. I don't know what this says about me. Um, <laughs> Death but, amuses you. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um. But it was really just unexpected. Yeah. Um, and I, I, again, like sometimes it sort of felt like it was veering into trying to be art house and trying to be quote unquote indie or hipster yeah. or whatever. And I was, I was, it was that maybe teetered on the line a little tiny bit, Yeah. but looking back now and thinking about it and, uh, it was a really cool and interesting just twist to that kind of scene, you know, it's not, and it's not the main, like the, that twist doesn't really affect the plot in any way, no. but it's just sort of an interesting development of who this person is and and for us to kind of as an audience figure out oh this is the place he's in he's is that he's his while he you know he's really obviously pissed off that they killed his mother mm -hmm. he also recognizes the humanity in this hitman yeah um that's just kind of doing his job and i think i think them lying on the ground together and kind of like what happens is a you know a piece of music is playing on the on the radio um i've never i've never been to me by charlene <laughs> um it, 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 he recognizes that this guy is just like him. Right. You know, like there's yeah, nothing personal about what they did. Right. Um, about killing the mother. It's just that this is, you know, the way the world works in a way. Right. And yeah. even the the other hitman shows some kind of mercy. He asks uh, uh, how the you know, he basically asks about his own mother's murder. Walking yeah. Phoenix asks, and the other guy says that she was sleeping. So it's kind of you know yeah. maybe the the same. It it's, goes both ways. That guy kind of recognizes that it's a job he has to do. Nothing personal. Yeah. But he did kind of. You know, and it they, did it in a nice, uh, as nice a way as possible. If I you guess. wanted to kill somebody else's mother, this is the way you would do it, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aside from some kind of really po like poison that will just put you into a deep sleep. Right. You know? yeah. Wait till they're sleeping already, and then you know. You've, you've given this way too much thought, by the way. I have. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say I have a list, but <laughs> <laughs> throw mom. Are we going to do like a throw mama from the train kind of scenario here, where we switch? Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> there, I think there is something sort of. I, it's weird because this that scene feels like sort of uh, a sort of extended aside, mm -hmm. but to me that's actually what the what the film is about. You know, is like is again undermining our sense of satisfaction from death. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's what that that does for us. Um, it, it it's it's followed by this sort of um, quite extraordinary funeral sequence, which again. Um, in any other film might be, you know, uh, you know, a couple of minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. This feels like it goes on for 10 or 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, and it feels like, I think one of the things we've complained a lot about in, in, on this podcast and talked a little bit about in, in, you know, recent memory as well is the idea of, um, a female death to, as a, as a plot mechanic, which, which, you know, propels the male character into, uh, yeah. you know, extended storyline. And, and the thing that's interesting here is that, the story is doing exactly that. You know, the story is like a using his mother's death as the propulsion, which sends him forward into a deeper, you know, uh, 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 sends him forward deeper into the story. Mm -hmm. But, but the film entirely underplays that by making her funeral kind of almost his suicide where he kind of yeah. almost drowns himself. Well, yeah, I guess we should mention he's had suicidal ideations the entire movie as well. Yeah. Um, he's, and, he's sort of wrapping his head in plastic in, uh, in a plastic bag, which I think yeah. replicates something that he might've done as a child or yes. seen done as a child. It's a little confusing. Yeah. Uh, 
the father did it to the mom maybe for a second or but he, he's in the same closet in the same bedroom doing yeah. it as a child as, as an adult and yeah. there's a lot of interesting little connections like that too the father has a hammer in one of those flashbacks yeah. we don't really know what he did but yeah it's, uh, it's, it's unclear but the mother is also like lying under the table whispering for him to be quiet yeah um but 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 so that scene is you know like he goes and he ta- he puts her in a plastic bag puts her in the back of the car which is like oh okay I didn't realize you could just dro- do yeah. that in New York City I guess in New York City <laughs> people aren't pulling you over so you can just have a body in the back of the car right where's uh, a suit where's too? a suit yeah I, I, mean, I love you know, that little detail yeah he you gets know? dressed up you yeah. know he's like you know I'm gonna go bury my mom now yeah um and then he goes to this like lake and you know puts a lot of rocks in his pocket and then like you know goes down into the water and like submerges himself into it yeah and there's this sort of extraordinary scene where we see the mother's body float away and he just sits there silently um, mm-hmm. and we're we're kind of watching and waiting for him to come fair but it has this sort of dreamlike quality where he sees the young girl that he's supposed to be saving as well yeah and then like risk you know rescues himself and this is the point at which we presume then that you know he is gonna like propel himself into this into this plot he is going to rescue that girl and right. he's going to you know save the day you're expecting uh, you're expecting a rampage yeah, from you're that ex- point on yeah. you're expecting the end of taxi driver or yeah. something like that that's not what happens mm-hmm. at all do you want to go into detail about like you know how this kind of final sequence plays out yeah so he so i guess also we should mention um through he kind of figures out on his own that how the governor and senator in, are involved in this there's there's a couple little flashbacks there where he kind of puts this whole conspiracy together after getting some information from the the hitman that he's killed in his mom's house. Yeah. Um, and starts stalking the governor and basically goes to to kill him and his cronies and, and save the girl. Yeah. Um, and then he gets there. And again, we murders happen off screen. Yeah. Uh, we're not we're not sort of really, you know, privy to the pleasure of seeing him yeah. kind of, you know, uh, get retribution for the death of his mother. Yeah. Um, and it's really anticlimactic in a way it's because he turns up and he's already dead. Right. The governor is like, had his throat sliced. Um, you know, he, and he sort of like turns up and he's like, Oh yeah. And I, I thought that was really bold because it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. How did you respond to that? Uh, I, so, well, I guess I should talk about how I viewed this movie in the okay. theater. Um, I, so I, I liked it. It yeah. was, uh, it, Definitely not what I expected. Yeah. And but I was still thinking there was going to be another 15 minutes of movie and that we were still going to get some kind of resolution or some kind of bigger resolution, I guess, I guess. Um, but what happened actually is after that scene, the picture on my in my theater just totally cut out for <laughs> several minutes. And so me and another guy ran out to go tell the people. And then, so I kind of missed the ending. So I don't really know how to contextualize that. But I love that you guys had an action movie moment where you guys both ran out of the theater. Yeah. Like, Excuse me, sir. Yeah, we ran to the wrong door first <laughs> yeah. and then had to run out. And then by the time I came back in, the movie was basically... 15 seconds away from ending yeah so i I that is a really frustrating experience by the way yeah get your money back uh no i just (laughs) ran out of there and uh and just spoiled the avengers for people um (laughs) great but uh let me think i mean it was interesting i liked that she kind of it's it's sad in a way (laughs) because she's kind of learned we've we're seeing more of the effects of violence uh, because this young girl is the one who who 
she's been raped and and mm. she's been uh you know basically a victim of human trafficking the whole movie she's the one who kills the the big bad if yeah. you will played by alessandro nivolo who was uh yeah. castatore's brother from face off right i okay. love this guy <laughs> I, like, i've been following this actor for a long time and so whenever he pops up in a movie i get very excited yeah <laughs> he has no lines in he's movie. no lines yeah, in this movie he's basically just like just gets murdered he just he's there to get murdered for a second but he's fantastic yeah um uh, you know, I, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I like when, when filmmakers zig when you expect them to zag. And it certainly um, was not what I expected. But the whole sequence was really interesting to me. You know, this you're just the way that it cuts from the governor being in the house, basically preparing to rape this young girl to yeah. walk Walkman Phoenix walking outside. Uh, then we're just cutting to just other random red shirts basically murdered. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he discovers the governor's body finally mourns his whole life basically i think yeah. at that point right i mean he breaks down crying uh, dad bod flopping around yeah. <laughs> i was loving that moment yeah and then i really liked it kind of the movie often veered into a kind of horror movie in yeah. a way you know he starts almost hallucinating in the house and seeing his dead mom and seeing his dad with the face cloth on his face and yeah. it was cool and creepy and uh yeah i mean it, it it sounds like you kind of you're unsure. I mean, look, and again, I, I apologize because you've just walked out of this movie, so you haven't had much time to yeah. digest this. In a way, this conversation is the digestion process. Right? Yeah, I haven't uh, I've been cheated and, and looked at all the other reviews. Yeah, yeah, of and, course, of course, and stolen other people's ideas. About it. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you normally do? Is yeah. That, is that, okay. <laughs> uh, making a note. Uh, don't invite Brendan back. Yep. Um, <laughs> well, nope. This is my podcast now. We'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> uh, Thanks Jason. for listening. Yeah, uh, you're Jason. Manzukasing me yeah. on Comedy yep. Bang Bang. I am now the host. <laughs> so thanks for here. Thanks for being here. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, uh, the Avengers um, Infinity uh, uh, Battle Ground. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just get I get and, and again, you know, again, you've just walked out of this movie, but I get a sense that you're you're hesitating a little bit because because the film is like defying your expectations. And you're mm-hmm. like, and, and I think it does that thing, which is it puts you it makes you uneasy. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if I like this, and I'm not sure if, if, if I want, like, you know, when you, the 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 sort of ontological aspect of going to the movies is that we want to feel, we want something in return for our patronage. You know, mm-hmm. we wanna, we wanna feel like we're the the pleasure zones in our body, the the, the receptors are kind of tickled in some way. I guess mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm making a horrible analogy there of like he's <laughs> also tickling me as he's saying. Yeah, as this, I'm saying this is really weird. Oh, yeah. I'm just you know, go with it. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 this film is 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 going out of its way to undermine that experience. And that's, yeah. that's again, I, I just come back to like, that's a hard sell. Yeah. I always appreciate that when it's done well though. Yeah. You know, I always, um, I, I am a fan of horror movies and I always like the ones that don't show you the monster. Right. Um, or you just get little glimpses of it. And yeah. it's actually always disappointing to see the monster in the end. Entirely. So, yeah. Speaking of Walkman Phoenix, yeah. I, loves the movie signs yeah up to a point up until the, uh, the water <laughs> yeah like i love the movie signs when you just see the alien feet in the corn stalks yeah you just see it jump off the barn right it's when you finally see it in full view where it becomes suddenly very disappointing right and so i generally do appreciate 
you know, ambiguity like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm having a hard time really intellectualizing it, as yeah. I was saying. But go, my feeling was I really liked it. <laughs> I liked that those creepy moments after and the score that came in and yeah. this just, you know, well, like creepy mansion that he's in. I, I love atmosphere and 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 mood. And it definitely had that in droves. And, you know, to bring it back to your podcast in particular, mm. if we think about the response to the final episode of The Sopranos and yeah. what the final episode of The Sopranos actually does. Um, but but just think about the experience of seeing that without the kind of context that we're like, even this conversation is offering for someone who hasn't seen the film. We're basically mm-hmm. giving you a critical framework to understand that. Mm-hmm. But remember what it must have been like watching the Sopranos. And I guess this is a spoiler for the Soprano. <laughs> I apologize. I've just ruined your entire podcast. Yep, 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> But but the final the, the 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 thing about the finale of the Sopranos is it just suddenly cuts to black. Yeah. And we don't know what's happened and we don't even know where this is going from this point. And it's yeah. kind of that's kind of the point of it. But yeah. it, but but remember how many people were like suddenly flipping through the TV going, what happened at the end of the Sopranos? Imagine if yeah. this had happened in the Twitter, in the Twitter era. Oh God. Yeah. I actually, there would have been uproar for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, but, but you know, since there's been a bit of time kind of passed through there, we've kind of allowed the impact of that moment to seep in. And now we have like a, you know, a kind of a critical framework to understand yeah. how that moment operates. But like, you know, and you've obviously had sort of a, a compounded effect because the movie actually cut to black it yeah. when it wasn't supposed to. Yeah. I thought it's, it, yeah, it basically cuts to black as soon as Joaquin Phoenix discovers the young girl. She has the murder weapon in her hands. Yeah. Uh, I love the shots of her bloody hands picking up those, those, the guy's blood on her dinner plate. And she's just straight up eating it and like dipping turkey or something in it. Which yeah, yeah. Is great. Uh, and then it cuts to black. And I was... I did for a second think that that was the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, had no idea what to make. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, just to fill you in, um, not a lot additional happens after that. But he basically uh, he takes her. They they drive away, um, and it seems now that they're going to go. They're going to leave the city, and they're at a um, um, uh, they're at a diner. Yeah, and you know, uh, he basically I think he takes on this sort of savior role for her. Yeah. Um, but again, the film undercuts that savior role in the fact that he didn't really save her. She saved herself. Yeah. And and then he kind of has this like fantasy of killing himself. Uh, we see him pull out a gun. He shoots himself in the head <laughs> and everybody kind of ignores it. You know, like there's a waitress walking past and she just goes, oh, here's your chick. Uh, you know, even though his brains are blowing all, all over the screen. Right. And then she comes back and we realize it was just kind of a fantasy of his, right. his head. But I think... The question that happens there is that before he, you know, he has the fantasy of blowing his own brains out, she, you know, he offers her, we can go wherever you want to go. Where do you want to go? And she just leaves. And I think, you know, again, Mm. he's kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, like everything, everything that I'm trained to want in this moment, you know, to be the savior of this young girl is again, completely undermined. Right. And she, she, she's gone. And then he just blows his brains out. Um, but then I think there's a sort of a moment of respite where she comes back and, you know, they kind of, he, he, he to follow on from P.T. Anderson, he drinks his milkshake yeah. and, 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 and then the movie cuts to black. It's like, it's fulfilling the fantasy of H.W. Plainview yeah. from uh, There Will Be Blood. Well, so it, it doesn't actually cut to black though. It does. She kind of set up this motif throughout the whole thing where we'd see a shot of, of Walkman Phoenix cut to something else maybe, and then cut back to that same shot. Only he's no longer there. This, and uh, then, I'm glad you like, you observed that as yeah, well. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. He really is 
this kind of this ghost who was never really there. Yeah. Um, there's something existential about that that I love because I constantly think about that kind of stuff. That, yeah. You know, that that sort of applies to all of us in yeah. a weird way. Not to get too heady here, but um, well, that's what we're here for. OK, good. Um, so, yeah. And the same thing with the ending there. You know, yeah. it goes from them sitting at the booth to just their stuff is still there. Yeah. They've left stuff behind. Only they are now just absent from the shot and it's this kind of like cacophony of voices everyone we can hear everyone in the diner at yeah. the same time which i think is i know there's something interesting there <laughs> well okay okay let me let me try and uh i'm going to use a little bit of film history um to think about it but it, the film history doesn't directly apply to this it's just something that i thought about in context um and it's the film the godfather there's a famous scene in in the first godfather movie where michael is predicting um uh don corleone what was the guy? What was Brand Brando's character's name? It was uh, Vito Corleone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michael Corleone is protecting uh, Vito at the hospital, and they they believe an assassin is in the hospital. And Francis Ford Coppola didn't shoot anything of the assassin, and they were like they didn't know how to build the tension there. So while mm. I, I think it was George Lucas who actually came in to the edit, and they started digging through the reels, and they found there were all these like shots of uh of the hospital that were just kind of like the last five seconds after someone had walked through oh interesting. you know so it was just like the end of the reel and you know before they called cut and lucas I'm, i i believe it was lucas kind of like decided oh what you should do is you should take those moments mm-hmm. and cut them together and then place like the sound of st- you know like walking there and and so what that does is you you get the impression someone there that someone's there, but you never see them. Right. And and um, what I again, this is a slightly long analogy, <laughs> but Walter Murch, the editor, uh, or he was the sound designer on The Godfather, said that there was a interesting thing that they learned from doing that moment, um, which was that they decided uh, Walter Murch always has this idea that there should be an underlying thematic. Um, conceit behind a film that you don't necessarily have to put in the film. Um, and, 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 you know, an example of that was he said, uh, we decided that every, um, that Michael Corleone is basically has a spotlight being shone on him throughout the Godfather, hmm. but he's always trying to avoid it. And he said, and he said, if you just kind of like use that as a framework for how you're going to make the film, it allows you to make editorial choices that, um, that, that play to that idea, but don't have to explicitly show that idea. And, you know, obviously yeah. there's no narrative conceit behind that. Right. Um, but though. so, so he says like, you're always seeing Michael Corleone kind of like, du- they're always trying to cut Michael Corleone played by Al Pacino in that film as he's trying to like avoid the center of the screen. He's always off to the side or something like that. And he hmm. says, they kind of just use that as a framework. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that was the long analogy. <laughs> and I think the thing that I, the reason I bring that up is that I was thinking about, the way in which this film shows us the scenes of where Joe, played by uh, Walkman Phoenix, has just been. Yeah. And it's like he is entirely absent from that space. You know, like, whereas a second ago we saw his big sort of body kind of like right. walking through the space. Right. All of a sudden it's empty and it's like you were never really here. Yeah. And it's this sort of sense that 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 and I think it comes to. Uh, the 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 sort of conceit that he you know he wants to kill himself at the end the I, I'm not exactly sure how this plays into it but this idea that no one would care if he died he has this feeling that his life has no purpose right and no one would care if he died so that final fantasy where he kills himself and nobody cares is like the you know it plays into this title and then the final sequence is that table and they were never really there right right and we're sort of like left to to ponder 
you know, existentially, who was this person and who was this thing and did it matter? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. That's the way I kind of like yeah. connected the dots. And yeah, I'm, that makes I'm, sense. I'm not sure if that, you know, like that plays for you. I don't think it actually plays the first time you watch the movie. Um, but yeah. it, but it, it kind of, there's this thing. I love that you picked up on that sense that there are throughout the entire film, there is this sense that that he was never really there yeah. you know, to use the title. Yeah. Uh, and there are all these scenes of the places that he was. And, and, you know, we just see long, you know, like extended shots of them without, without him in it. Yeah. Um, um yeah. And even without even putting it in those terms, it, it adds a, a nice flavor color to the movie, yeah. you know, um, that just that, like hearing the bell on the deli door or the bodega door yeah. as then cutting to that shot and he's just gone. I mean, it just, it, it sets the tone in a really great way. And, yeah. Um, but, uh, I was going to ask, I mean, so in the end, yeah, I think the final line of the movie is that it's, it is a beautiful day. Yeah. Do you feel that he's gotten over anything there? I mean, does, does that final fantasy really, um, I don't know, resolve anything psychologically for you there. I mean, you know, like I guess what has, again, I hadn't seen the final scene, so I'm not even sure what was really going on, but what has really kind of changed for him there? And and where do you see him kind of going from there? I guess for such a dark movie, I think there is a moment of optimism at the end when she says it is a beautiful day. Yeah. You find these two characters have come together. It's just that they haven't come together in the way that we would think he is not her savior. Yeah. She is kind of his savior. You know, she, she does more for him than he does for her by being with her. Now, um, I think, um, you know, from a, um, from a narrative perspective and even from a, a sort of philosophical and political perspective, there is something troubling about the way that her character has no sort of, uh, sense of life beyond what we see of her, you know, like she mm-hmm. is just, she's just kind of a, um, uh, a vacuum for which, you know, sucks up his feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't really get a sense of who this person is. She is just sort of this beautiful young girl who stares into space, who is, uh, abused and who like finds herself out of this abuse. But, but I think on the other side of that, what's interesting is that her abuse is not exploited in the film. You know, like we don't actually, uh, we're, we're not privy to the things that happened to her. Right. And the film doesn't indulge in her abuse. Yeah. I, I just, I kind of wish that I, I kind of wonder, and this is, a, this is a sort of critical thing that there was an opportunity, a missed opportunity here to, to actually have her character challenge him in some way. And I think, I think she does by the nature of who she is, right. but she doesn't actually, you know, like, challenge him in sort of any interesting way yeah uh, other than be this sort of figure you know like i guess you know in the batman vigilante kind of uh philosophical view of the world there is always this damsel in distress yeah and, and they will kind of you know their retribution for the the demons in your head right and that's what she is yeah it's kind of the fabric of like the noir genre in a way yeah you know? exactly there's, the, the, there's yeah exactly yeah the dame who kind of like yeah. essentially saves the existential crisis of our of our hero yeah um which yeah and that's the thing is that's why i was kind of thinking there was another 15 minutes of this movie right. you know um i i did think that there would be yeah something like that where we'd see them on the road together and yeah uh uh yeah I, I don't know. I can totally, I can totally see that. I, I 
like I, I have this thing, which is that I reverse engineer any filmmaker's decisions into being the right decision. I will. Me too. Or I at least always try to like things in a way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's why it's weird to talk about it so soon after. I know you, know? you, you haven't um, had a chance to digest it. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but I'm, I'm the same way. I, I really go in at least trying to understand what was going on in the edit, what was going on on set, yeah. what it looked like on the page and and you know whether or not they succeeded or it's it's tough to it's just tough to say sometimes if that's the movie they wanted to make then that's the movie they wanted to make and um you know who am i to say exactly and i think uh, we actually had uh, a filmmaker on the um on the podcast recently uh, a producer um for the film um tramps which is also shot here Mm -hmm. um and and they were talking about working with trey edward schultz um, the director of the film Cretia and a director of the film um, uh, It Comes at Night. Mm. Did you did you see those either of those films? Uh, I saw It Comes at Night. Oh, okay, uh, with you actually. Yeah. Oh, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did see that. Yeah, you I were am- never really there. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, you're just this absent figure. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to send me into an existential crisis right now. Uh, I have not seen cr- this movie Cretia. This is the family drama that's shot like a horror movie. Yeah, it's shot like yeah. a PT Anderson movie, uh, which is really no. Interesting. I haven't seen this. I haven't. I don't. I haven't looked for it, but I haven't been able to find it at the same time. It's on <laughs> so. Amazon Prime, I think. Gotcha. Uh, and it's really worth watching. But, yeah. But but at anyway, the the producer of um, It Comes at Night was on the show, mm-hmm. and and he was That's talking cool. about um, uh, working with Trey Edward Schultz and the ending because I know on the podcast uh, Matt and I had some differences of opinions on the ending, and we mm. and and usually when an ending kind of leaves you feeling uh abrupt or it doesn't resolve in the sort of classical don you may you know where things kind of peter out we know what where where it's going to go um i think we we sort of butt heads a little bit sometimes when it comes to that kind of thing i remember mm. uh the ending of the lobster the the yagos lanthimos film yep. we kind of butted heads about you know because the film abruptly ends and i think one of my yeah. one of my faults is the way i sort of tend to approach this thing is uh, whenever we get things like that i try to reverse engineer the thinking and go well okay no that's where the filmmaker wanted to end this film right it's not because they just ran out of ideas and kind of filmed it. This is the point right. they wanted to finish it. And it was interesting talking to um, uh, Corey, the producer of It Comes at Night, about the ending of It Comes at Night. And I'm not going to give spoilers away for It Comes at Night. But they talk, he talked a lot about like, no, this was actually the ending he wanted. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, toing and froing about what this ending meant, and like trying to defy expectations, and making sure that that the ending left you with something to chew on, mm. and that there was an existential, you know, there was. I think the thinking there was that they wanted to like leave you with an existential sense of, of beyond the film. Like yeah. what does this film mean? I and feel I, like that movie had a pretty, pretty, I thought it was clear. pretty tied up at the end. Yeah. yeah, But I, but you know, it's not, it's, it's not like, um, the ending of, uh, the Avengers. No, that's not a bad, that's it a bad leaves you in a weird, in a weird place. Yeah. For sure. It leaves uh, you in a weird, in a weird headspace. And, and yeah, but <laughs> that's a different show, I guess. And, and, <laughs> and also like the thing you're saying where, where like the movie cuts to black and you're like, Oh, I think this is where the movie's going to end. Yeah. And you're not sure if that's supposed to happen. You know, yeah. like I think that's a kind of an interesting feeling. Cause it kind of, in a way it kind of like almost, leaves you dangling off a cliff and you don't know and and you walk out of the theater without your footing right um yeah and i usually turn it around on myself and i'm i just assume that i missed something i'm, I'm like right. oh i have to go back and figure it out i, I must have totally missed something because i'm an idiot right it's funny because there were two there were two points in this movie uh where the screen went to black and the first one was actually when he discovers his mom's dead body right and for a second i was like is that the end how much time has gone by it could have been two hours i'm not sure it would be an unusual place to end yeah, it. yeah but but, but, but you, i just felt like oh, i was like oh everything fell apart in this guy's life that's the whole <laughs> that was the point of this movie i guess you know and it was uh, only 40 minutes yeah yeah 
but yeah, no, I, and I, and I think, you know, like endings like that. And I think, uh, you know, a way uh, the ending of this film is designed to do that. Um, but it's whether you're willing to kind of give the filmmaker the benefit of the doubt of mm-hmm. like, this is the point that they think the story kind of comes to completion. And I think it, I, I think it could kind of existentially, it kind of calls into question our understanding of narrative as well. Yeah. I'm having this thing with my, with my, with my everything I talk about now on the podcast has to do with my son. <laughs> and, and, and it's this thing about storytelling where, um, sometimes we'll make up stories instead of reading him a story from a book. Nice. And he had this moment where like, uh, I think it was my wife was telling him a story and she ended it and he was like, no, 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 Something big is supposed to happen now. Mm. And then it ends. And I was like, and, and it was like, oh, the, the sort of, um, the Nate, the, our understanding of narrative is kind of inbuilt or maybe it comes from all the books that he's been reading as a, as a kid. Yeah. But we get this like classic sort of, collective understanding of what a story is supposed to do for yeah, you. Yeah, we absolutely do. Yeah. And when it doesn't do it, it makes us feel kind of robbed or right. that it's incomplete. Right. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes it is incomplete. Yeah. I mean, not everyone pulls it off as well as someone like Lynn Ramsey does yeah. or, or David Chase, I guess too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, also sometimes we miss the endings in a way yeah. and um, like not to keep bringing up no fucking ZD, but we talk about this all the time where, mm-hmm. That the Sopranos wasn't ju- it didn't just dissatisfy people in the like series finale. It was yeah. letting people down the entire way. Right. Like threads would come and go, and people this, would this come my, and go. And that that was actually my problem with the Sopranos was yeah. that they would build threads up to only have them sort of disappear by by pure chance. Right. And and but but you know like. And and that's something I didn't respond to in that show. Yeah. But I feel like I respond to in this movie, which makes me a fucking hypocrite. But well, it's yeah, I just feel like it's it's more lifelike in a way. And yeah. again, not everyone can not everyone can pull it off. Yeah. You know, um, but there is a, an element of realism to that that I, I like. And so even if I walked out of this movie feeling like I didn't like it, I would still appreciate that they that they went for it, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times we, we miss endings, I think. And it's the ending of a movie isn't necessarily the last shot of the movie, I guess, you know? So it's kind of weird to me sometimes when people just totally flip out about that and yeah. And uh, as they would have flipped out about the ending, the Sopranos and I think, you know, like again, as we come back to, to wrapping it up to you and never really hear that, that sense that I know I want people to see this movie, but I know in, in my heart of hearts there are people who are going to see this movie and not enjoy yeah. it, but because the movie is not satisfying that kind of like that thing that my two year old has, which is mm-hmm. like, no, something big supposed to happen here. And then it ends, you know? Right. Like, um, and, 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 but, but I think that's the sort of odd power of what films can do. Yeah. And, and may, but maybe I'm being too charitable about it. Maybe I'm like reverse engineering, like, you know, like it's the emperor's new clothes kind of theory, yeah. which is like you're reverse engineering the story until someone goes, no, there should be an ending here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure though. Cause this movie and all movies, I guess, kind of teach you how to watch them. Yeah. And I think that we learn how to watch this movie in the first half hour, the flashbacks, you know, he has PTSD, I would say for sure. Yeah. But at no point does he say I'm ex-military. At no point does he say I used to be in the FBI and yeah. we were doing the, we were covering human trafficking cases. Yeah. Um, none of that's ever said, but you still get it. Right. You know. Um, so I think that by the final scene, you should kind of already understand that that's maybe what kind of movie this is. Yeah. You know. So I'd be surprised if you liked everything up until the last scene <laughs> of this movie. You know. There's a yeah. I, I I actually that's a really good point because I think the film sets up a language for how to read this yeah, movie big time. And 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 I think that's something unique again to Lynn Ramsey. 
Um, which is, which is, which is why I think she probably has trouble, you know, like getting, um, you know, the lovely bones off the ground mm. or, or Moby Dick in space, <laughs> <laughs> nice. which is that, which is that you, you know, I think I, the reason why I think she's a fascinating filmmaker is that her, uh, her interests are in creating and inventing something new with the form. You know, I don't think she wants to tell you know, a classic hard boiled, you know, detective crimes, you know, right. story about an ex military guy who saves young girls from the ex, you know, from child sex slavery rings. I think she wants to tell an existential, a story yeah. about existential crisis and use the language of cinema to tell that story. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, the film is teaching you how to watch this movie as it's happening. So by yeah. the time you get to the end, whether the theater, you know, whether the theater <laughs> fucks it up and just like cuts it to black or not, you're kind of in a space where that ending kind of makes sense. Right. Um, or at least it did, to, it did for me. And I, I will fully, you know, uh, you know, appreciate that when, if someone sees this movie and doesn't enjoy that kind of aesthetic, um, interplay between the phil philosophy of the film and and the form of the film mm -hmm. that that it can be un it, it will be unsatisfying yeah it will most definitely be unsatisfying and it's the it's the reason why this film will only play at a few select theaters you yeah know? yeah um despite having oscar winner walkman phoenix in there <laughs> i gotta always say that walkman phoenix yeah um but but that's kind of i think you know for me uh and you know i have this sort of uh, I want to think about violence in films, especially as a filmmaker. And, you know, I want to think about like the way I use violence in films mm -hmm. and with a, you know, I've just written a screenplay which has gun violence in it. And I realized I'm using gun violence as a shorthand right. for, for violence because it's the language that I know in movies. Right. You know? So I'm right. like, Oh, I'm writing a movie. Movies have guns. Therefore, you know, this movie will have a gun, even though I don't know how a gun works. I've never used a gun yeah. and, and gun violence is something entirely foreign to me. Yeah. Um, and this film, by the fact that it uses a hammer, and it's like w when a gun actually appears in this film, it's kind of like, oh, I, you know, like th there's this entire shorthand for violence that you could use in this film that this film hasn't used up until this point. Yeah, interesting. You know, yeah. uh, and I and I think that that is powerful, and it's it's kind of wonderful, and it's refreshing, and yeah. it's strange, and equally unsatisfying. True. But but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if um, because this is based on a book by Jonathan Ames. Yeah, I wonder if in the first couple drafts he did just walk around with a gun, and yeah. if it's you know maybe he wanted to challenge himself because and come up with something that's way different and yeah. and and harder to use to get out of a situation, you know. Um, and there's also like this process, you know, like by forcing yourself into that narrative conceit of like not using a gun, which has a gun just has this sort of immediate finality to it. You know, yeah. it's like you pull the trigger, you fire, you're dead. That's it. Yeah. But but a, a hammer, you know, just has this sort of like, okay, how does the hammer work? How do I wield it? Yeah. You know, like how can I approach someone with this? You know, like there's a sort of like unexpected nature. Again, though, the film kind of like underplays all of that because we don't get to enjoy that. Right. You yeah. know, like we've seen that hammer scene in, in Old Boy, but right. it's it's not like we get to enjoy the choreography of of the way Joe wields this hammer. Yeah. It's just this blunt object. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And it's just efficient, too. I mean, I, <laughs> well, not the hammer, the filmmaking style. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is just what you don't see. You know, yeah. I... Uh, since I didn't see the mom actually dead because my screen cut to black, <laughs> when I think of that scene, I think of him looking through the window and having an obvious reaction. And I'm just I, you immediately know he's looking at his mother's dead body. You yeah. Know? Um, and 
that is just so much more effective, I think, most of the time. It's weird. I actually think people could walk out thinking that they did see it, even if they hadn't, you know, sometimes right. when you play with, with filmmaking that way. Film and memory. Sometimes you can imagine scenes happen yeah. and, they, and they didn't really, they were never really there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking killed it. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on the movie before we, um, before we wrap out? I mean, do you want people to see it? Would you recommend it to people? I definitely know? would. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would. Um, Again, I, I generally like this genre when it's done well. I as soon as I saw a, a just an image of this on Twitter, I, like a year and a half ago, I was just immediately feeling like I had I was in. I wanted to go see it. You know. Yeah. Uh, I like a slow burn. Um, I like just mood and atmosphere and tension, and it has all. You know, it's 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 it has all of that, and so that's I would definitely. I think if you'd like drive, you probably will like this movie. Yeah. I think drive is actually the best comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I, although it's a a little bit more challenging than drive is, I think in terms of what it's in the way in which it uses form to, you know, because the form is unusual to highlight the cycle, the, the psychological impact that this film, the psychological story that this film is trying to tell. Yeah. It's scarier than drive. Yeah. No, like no question because um, it's much more real as well. Right. It feels more real. It is. But even just thinking to that, that hallucination at the end where he's, where he's seeing his dead mom and th- that really gave me pause actually the first time. Yeah. Uh, the, the only time I've seen it actually, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, as soon as that came up, you know, and I, I, really love that feeling in movies It rarely happens where something kind of like just sends a shiver down my spine and that, that part did. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend it. I think that I, I kind of feel like people know if, what movies are going to like when they're going in. And so if you're already interested, you're probably going to be interested in, in seeing it. Yeah. And the people who are going to see Avengers Infinity War, who are expecting well, an episode about Avengers Infinity War this Monday <laughs> yeah. are the kind of people who would definitely love this sort of yeah. oblique um, <laughs> revenge drama. <laughs> I guess I guess we are uh, practicing unsatisfaction. <laughs> At this point, I know, yeah, that is actually true. There's a meta commentary here that we yeah. are actually not satisfying our audience. Yeah. And we're hoping that they like us for it, but they're not going to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I'm here. Uh, so <laughs> I probably just ruined someone's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed my Monday with you, even though it's Sunday. Uh, thank True. you so much for coming on this episode of course, and, yeah. and for seeing this film at such late notice as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brendan, where can we find more of your work? Well, tell us a little bit more about how we can find no, no fucking ZD. Uh, we are on iTunes. Subscribe yeah. there. Uh, we're on Twitter at no fucking ZD. You can follow us on SoundCloud mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm at Brendan McCarthy on Twitter and um, you can find You're me there. I'm tweeting said, at Donald Trump every day or something all like that. the time. Yeah. yeah, just like give me a job in the White House. <laughs> I think actually last time I was on was pre-election and I was joking about being a supporter and I feel like I tipped the scales. <laughs> really? Unfortunately, really, you were the guy. I was the guy. Yeah. You were the one guy. Yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, no fucking ZD. We'll, we're taking a little break because we have some weddings coming up this summer. Oh. Um, so we'll but we'll be back to finish the final season. So yeah, no fucking ZD Sunday nights and um, and also this is us Thursday nights on NBC. I just oh, want to really? plug that show. I, 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 I'm really enjoying This Is Us, by the way. I, I actually just, haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> I've been side watching it. My wife has been watching it. And every time I watch it, I go, this is really good. I was really, really? I, yeah, I was like, oh, this is, I, I like where this is going, even though I'm not really fully engaged. The problem is I want to go back and watch it yeah. again now. So if you want to hear our podcast about This Is Us, yeah. um, <laughs> or no fucking, no, you can, um, please, if you, if you saw You Were Never Really Here and you enjoyed it or want to talk about it some more or have some thoughts about it, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
Hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. If you're not interested in that, we do have uh, some six hours of discussion about the Avengers, uh, the entire <laughs> Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe with the fantastic Matthew Kroll, who is the normal co-host of the show, and Shalea Evans, who uh, I'm hoping will reappear for our Avengers Infinity War episode. I'll keep you posted about that, or you'll find out as it happens. Uh, we will have an Avengers Infinity War episode coming. <laughs> I feel like this whole episode is just like a tease for while while people wait for that Avengers Infinity War. If you want to find out more about my work, you can go to www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Um, and um, we hope you go see You Were Never Really Here. Yeah. Um, because we, or like Matt Kroll, were never really here. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.